0: Chapter 22 of The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christina Boyles. Send email to scholarcat.com. Chapter 22 The Scarlet Letter. before hester Prynne could call together her thoughts and consider what was practicable to be done in this new and startling aspect of affairs the sound of military music was heard approaching along a contiguous street it denoted the advance of the procession of magistrates and citizens on its way toward the meeting-house where in compliance with a custom thus early established and ever since observed The Reverend Mr. Dimmesdale was to deliver an election sermon. Soon the head of the procession showed itself, with a slow and stately march, turning a corner and making its way across the market place. First came the music. It comprised a variety of instruments, perhaps imperfectly adapted to one another and placed with no great skill. But yet attaining the great object for which the harmony of drum and clarion addresses itself to the multitude that of imparting a higher and more heroic air to the scene of life that passes before the eye little pearl at first clapped her hands but then lost for an instant the restless agitation that had kept her in a continual effervescence throughout the morning she gazed silently and seemed to be borne upward like a floating sea bird on the long heaves and swells of sound. But she was brought back to her former mood by the shimmer of the sunshine on the weapons and bright armor of the military company, which followed after the music and formed the honorary escort of the procession. This body of soldiery, which still sustains a corporate existence, and marches down from past ages with an ancient and honorable fame, was composed of no mercenary materials. Its ranks were filled with gentlemen who felt the stirrings of martial impulse and sought to establish a kind of college of arms where, as in an association of knights templars, they might learn the science, and so far as peaceful exercise would teach them, the practices of war. The high estimation, then, placed upon the military character might be seen in the lofty port of each individual member of the company. Some of them, indeed, by their services in the Low Countries and on other fields of European warfare, had fairly won their title to assume the name and pomp of soldiership. The entire array, moreover, clad in burnished steel and with plumage nodding over their bright morions had a brilliancy of effect which no modern display can aspire to equal. And yet, the men of civil eminence, who came immediately behind the military escort, were better worth a thoughtful observer's eye. Even in outward demeanor, they showed a stamp of majesty that made the warrior's haughty stride look vulgar, if not absurd. It was an age, what we call talent had far less consideration than now, but the mass of materials which produce stability and dignity of character a great deal more. The people possessed by hereditary right the quality of reverence, which in their descendants, if it survive at all, exists in smaller proportion and with a vastly diminished force in the selection and estimate of public men. But the change may be, for good or ill, and is partly perhaps for both. In that old day, the English settler, on these rude shores, having left king, nobles, and all degrees of awful rank behind, while still the faculty and necessity of reverence were strong in him, bestowed it on the white hair and venerable brow of age, on long-tried integrity, on solid wisdom and sad colored experience, on endowments of that grave and weighty order which gives the idea of permanence and comes under the general definition of respectability. These primitive statesmen, therefore, Bradstreet, Endicott, Dudley, Bellingham and their compeers, who were elevated to power by the earthly choice of the people, seem to have been not often brilliant but distinguished by a ponderous sobriety rather than activity of intellect they had fortitude and self-reliance and in time of difficulty or peril stood up for the welfare of the state like a line of cliffs against a tempestuous tide the traits of character here indicated were well represented in the square cast of continents and large physical development of the new colonial magistrates. So far as the demeanor of natural authority was concerned, the mother country need not have been ashamed to see these foremost men of an actual democracy adopted into the house of peers or made the privy council of the sovereign next in order to the magistrates, came the young and eminently distinguished divine, from whose lips the religious discourse of the anniversary was expected. His was the profession at that era in which intellectual ability displayed itself far more than in political life. For leaving a higher motive out of the question, it offered inducements powerful enough in the almost worshipping respect of the community to win the most aspiring ambition into its service even political power as in the case of increase mather was within the grasp of a successful priest it was the observation of those who beheld him now that never since mr dimsdale first set his foot on the new england shore had he exhibited such energy as was seen in the gait and air with which he kept his pace in the procession, there was no feebleness of step as at other times. His frame was not bent, nor did his hand rest ominously upon his heart. Yet, if the clergyman were rightly viewed, his strength seemed not of the body, It might be spiritual and imparted to him by angelic ministrations. It might be the exhilaration of that potent cordial which is distilled only in the furnace glow of earnest and long-continued thought. Or, perchance, his sensitive temperament was invigorated by the loud and piercing music that swelled heavenward and uplifted him on its ascending wave. Nevertheless, so abstracted was his look, it might be questioned whether Mr. Dimmesdale even heard the music. There was his body, moving onward, and with an unaccustomed force. But where was his mind, far and deep in its own region, busying itself with preternatural activity to marshal a a procession of stately thoughts that were soon to issue thence? And so he saw nothing, heard nothing, knew nothing of what was around him, but the spiritual element took up the feeble frame and carried it along, unconscious of the burden and converting it to spirit like itself. Men of uncommon intellect who have grown morbid possess this occasional power of mighty effort into which they throw the life of many days and then are lifeless for as many more. Hester Prynne, gazing steadfastly at the clergyman, felt a dreary influence come over her, but wherefore or whence she knew not, unless that he seemed so remote from her own sphere and utterly beyond her reach, One glance of recognition she had imagined must needs pass between them. She thought of the dim forest, with its little dell of solitude and love and anguish, and the mossy tree trunk where, sitting hand in hand, they had mingled their sad and passionate talk with the melancholy murmur of the brook. How deeply had they known each other then! And was this the man? she hardly knew him now he moving proudly past enveloped as it were in the rich music with the procession of majestic and venerable fathers he so unattainable in his worldly position and still more so in that far vista of his unsympathizing thought through which she now beheld him her spirit sank With the idea that all must have been a delusion, and that vividly, as she had dreamed it, there could be no real bond betwixt the clergyman and herself, and thus much of woman was there in Hester, that she could scarcely forgive him, least of all now, when the heavy footstep of their approaching fate might be heard, nearer, nearer, nearer for being able so completely to withdraw himself from their mutual world while she groped darkly and stretched forth her cold hands and found him not. Pearl either saw and responded to her mother's feelings, or herself felt the remoteness and intangibility that had fallen around the minister. While the procession passed, the child was uneasy, fluttering up and down like a bird on the point of taking flight. When the whole had gone by, she looked up into Hester's face. Mother, said she, was that the same minister that kissed me by the brook? Hold thy peace, dear little pearl, whispered her mother. We must not always talk in the marketplace of what happens to us in the forest. I could not be sure that it was he. "'So strange he looked,' continued the child. "'Else I would have run to him and bid him kiss me now before all the people, "'even as he did yonder among the dark old trees. "'What would the minister have said, mother? "'Would he have clapped his hands over his heart and scowled on me and bid me be gone?' "'What should he say, Pearl?' answered Hester.' save that it was no time to kiss and that kisses are not to be given in the market-place well for thee foolish child that thou didst not speak to him another shade of the same sentiment in reference to mr dimsdale was expressed by a person whose eccentricities or insanity as we should term it led her to do what few of the townspeople would have ventured on to begin a conversation with the wearer of the scarlet letter in public. It was Mistress Hibbins, who arrayed in great magnificence, with a triple ruff, a broidered stomacher, a gown of rich velvet and a gold-headed cane, had come forth to see the procession. As this ancient lady had the renown, which subsequently cost her no less a price than her life, of being a principal actor and all the works of necromancy that were continually going forward. The crowd gave way before her, and seemed to fear the touch of her garment as if it carried the plague among its gorgeous folds. Seen in conjunction with Hester Prynne, kindly as so many now felt towards the latter, the dread inspired by Mistress Hibbins, was doubled and caused a general movement from that part of the market place in which the two women stood. Now, what mortal imagination could conceive it, whispered the old lady confidentially to Hester, yonder divine man that saint on earth as the people uphold him to be, and as, I must needs say, he really looks. Who now that saw him pass in the procession would think how little while it is since he went forth out of his study, chewing a Hebrew text of scripture in his mouth, I warrant to take an airing in the forest. Aha, uh-huh. we know what that means, Hester Prynne. But truly forsooth, I find it hard to believe him the same man. Many a church member saw I walking behind the music that has danced in the same measure with me. when. Somebody was fiddler, and it might be an Indian powwow or a Lapland wizard changing hands with us. That is but a trifle when a woman knows the world, but this minister. Couldst thou surely tell, Hester, whether he was the same man that encountered thee on the forest path? madam i know not of what you speak answered hester Prynne, feeling mistress hibbins to be of infirm mind yet strangely startled and awe-stricken by the confidence with which she affirmed a personal connection between so many persons herself among them and the evil one it is not for me to talk lightly of a learned and pious minister of the word like the rev mr dimsdale fie woman fie cried the old lady shaking her finger at hester dost thou think i have been to the forest so many times and have yet no skill to judge who else has been there yea though no leaf of the wild garlands which they wore while they danced be left in their hair i know thee hester for i behold the token we may all see it in the sunshine and it glows like a red flame in the dark thou wearest it openly so there need be no question about that but this minister let me tell thee in thine ear When the black man sees one of his own servants signed and sealed, so shy of owning to the bond as is the reverend Mr. Dimmesdale, he hath a way of ordering matters so that the mark shall be disclosed in open daylight to the eyes of the world. "'What is it that the minister seeks to hide with his hand always over his heart? "'Huh, Hester Prynne?' "'What is it, good Mistress Hibbins?' eagerly asked little Pearl. "'Hast thou seen it?' "'No matter, darling,' responded Mistress Hibbins, making Pearl a profound reverence thou thyself will see it one time or another they say child thou art the lineage of the prince of the air wilt thou ride with me some fine night to see thy father then thou shalt know wherefore the minister keeps his hand over his heart laughing so shrilly that all the market-place could hear her the weird old gentlewoman took her departure by this time the preliminary prayer had been offered in the meeting-house and the accents of the rev mr dimsdale were heard commencing his discourse An irresistible feeling kept Hester near the spot. As the sacred edifice was too much thronged to admit another auditor, she took up her position close beside the scaffold of the pillory. It was in sufficient proximity to bring the whole sermon to her ears in the shape of an indistinct but varied murmur and flow of the minister's very peculiar voice. This vocal organ was in itself a rich endowment, insomuch that a listener, comprehending nothing of the language in which the preacher spoke, might still have been swayed to and fro by the mere tone and cadence. Like all other music, it breathes passion and pathos, and emotions high or tender in a tongue native to the human heart, wherever educated muffled as the sound was by its passage through the church walls hester Prynne listened with such intentness and sympathized so intimately that the sermon had throughout a meaning for her entirely apart from its indistinguishable words these perhaps if more distinctly heard might have been only a grosser medium and have clogged the spiritual sense now she caught the low undertone as if the wind sinking down to repose itself then ascended with it as it rose through progressive gradations of sweetness and power until its volume seemed to envelop her with an atmosphere of awe and solemn grandeur and yet majestic as a voice sometimes became there was forever in it an essential character of plaintiveness a low loud expression of anguish, the whisper or shriek as it might be conceived of suffering humanity that touched a sensibility in every bosom. At times this deep strain of pathos was all that could be heard, and scarcely heard, sighing amid a desolate silence. But even when the minister's voice grew high and commanding, when it gushed irrepressibly upward when it assumed its utmost breadth and power so overfilling the church as to burst its way through the solid walls and diffuse itself in the open air still if the auditor listened intently and for the purpose he could detect the same cry of pain what was it the complaint of a human heart sorrow laden perchance guilty telling its secret whether of guilt or sorrow to the great heart of mankind beseeching its sympathy or forgiveness at every moment in each accent and never in vain it was this profound and continual undertone that gave the clergyman his most appropriate power during all this time hester stood statue-like at the foot of the scaffold if the minister's voice had not kept her there, there would nevertheless have been an inevitable magnetism in that spot, whence she dated the first hour of her life of ignominy. There was a sense within her, too ill defined to be made a thought, but weighing heavily on her mind, that her whole orb of life, both before and after, was connected with this spot, as with the one point. That gave it unity. Little Pearl, meanwhile, had quitted her mother's side and was playing at her own about the market place. She made the sombre crowd cheerful by her erratic and glistening ray, even as a bird of bright plumage illuminates a whole tree of dusky foliage by darting to and fro, half seen and half concealed amid the twilight of the clustering leaves. She had an undulating but oftentimes a sharp and irregular movement it indicated the restless vivacity of her spirit which to-day was doubly indefatigable in its tiptoe dance because it was played upon and vibrated with her mother's disquietude whenever pearl saw anything to excite her ever-active and wandering curiosity she flew thitherward and as we might say, seized upon that man or thing as her own property, so far as she desired it, but without yielding the minutest degree of control over her motions and requital. Puritans looked on, and if they smiled, were none the less inclined to pronounce the child a demon offspring, from the indescribable charm of beauty and eccentricity that shone through her little figure and. Sparkled with activity. She ran and looked the wild Indian in the face, and he grew conscious of a nature wilder than his own. Thence, with native audacity, but still with a reserve as characteristic, she flew into the midst of a group of mariners, the swarthy cheeked wild men of the ocean, as the Indians were of the land. And they gazed wonderingly and admiringly at Pearl, as if a flake on the sea foam had taken the shape of a little maid, and were gifted with a soul of the sea fire that flashes beneath the prow in the night time. One of these seafaring men, the shipmaster indeed, who had spoken to Hester Prynne, was so smitten with Pearl's aspect that he attempted to lay hands upon her with purpose to snatch a kiss, finding it as impossible to touch her as to catch a hummingbird in the air. He took from his hat the gold chain that was twisted about it and threw it to the child. Pearl immediately twined it around her neck and waist, with such happy skill that once seen there it became a part of her, and when it was difficult to imagine her without it. "'Thy mother is yonder woman with the scarlet letter,' said the seaman. "'Will thou carry her a message from me?' "'If the message pleases me, I will,' answered Pearl. "'Then tell her,' rejoined her.' that i spake again with the black-visaged hump shouldered old doctor and he engages to bring his friend the gentleman she wots of aboard with him so let thy mother take no thought save for herself and thee wilt thou tell her this thou witch baby mistress heaven says my father is the prince of the air cried pearl with a naughty smile if thou callest me that ill name i shall tell him of thee and he will chase thy ship with a tempest pursuing a zigzag course across the market-place the child returned to her mother and communicated what the mariner had said Hester's strong, calm, steadfastly enduring spirit almost sank at last on beholding this dark and grim countenance of an inevitable doom, which at the moment when a passage seemed to open for the minister and herself out of their labyrinth of misery showed itself with an unrelenting smile right in the midst of their path, with her mind. Harassed by the terrible perplexity in which the shipmaster's intelligence involved her, she was also subjected to another trial. There were many people present from the country round about who had often heard of the scarlet letter, and to whom it had been made terrific by a hundred false or exaggerated rumours, who had never beheld it with their own bodily eyes these after exhausting other modes of amusement now thronged about hester Prynne with rude and boorish intrusiveness unscrupulous as it was however it could not bring them nearer than a circuit of several yards at that distance they accordingly stood fixed there by centrifugal force of the repugnance which the mystic symbol inspired The whole gang of sailors likewise observing the press of spectators and learning the purport of the scarlet letter came and thrust their sunburnt and desperado looking faces into the ring even the indians were affected by a sort of cold shadow of the white man's curiosity and gliding through the crowd fastened their snake-like black eyes on hester's bosom conceiving perhaps that the wearer of this brilliantly embroidered badge must needs be a personage of high dignity among her people lastly the inhabitants of the town their own interest in this worn-out subject languidly reviving itself by sympathy with what they saw others feel lounged idly to the same quarter and tormented hester Prynne, perhaps more than all the rest with their cool well acquainted gaze at her familiar shame hester saw and recognized the self-same faces of that group of matrons who had awaited her forthcoming from the prison door seven years ago all save one the youngest and only compassionate among them whose burial robe she had since made At the final hour when she was so soon to fling aside the burning letter, it had strangely become the center of more remark and excitement, and was thus made to sear her breast more painfully than at any time since the first day she put it on. While Hester stood in that magic circle of ignominy, where the cunning cruelty of her sentence seemed to have fixed her forever the admirable preacher was looking down from the sacred pulpit upon an audience whose very inmost spirits had yielded to his control the sainted minister in the church the woman of the scarlet letter in the market place what imagination would have been irreverent enough to surmise that the same scorching stigma was on them both. End of chapter 22